Hello and welcome to this brand new latest edition of the Lakers Side Chats. I am your host Alan Ramich once more and joining me as a guest, he hosts his own podcast on the Silver Screen and Roll Podcast Network. He also does live shows for Lakers Nation amongst other things, Jas Kang. Welcome to the show, sir. How are you? Thanks for having me. I know it's a little bit, uh, well, it's only about 11 o'clock there, so you might be starting to get tired in a little bit, but uh, always, always happy to hop on a podcast. No worries. I appreciate it. Always enjoy a good chat about the Lakers. Speaking of which, we're coming off a 119-110 victory against the Mavs, alongside also beating Memphis Tuesday night quite handily. Um, what do you make of these games that we've had in the past week or so, even if you want to talk about the Hornets game as well? What were some positive signs that you noticed about the game so far? Well, I think the po- positive signs is that other than the opening game against the uh, Clippers that they end up losing, it's pretty much all been the LeBron James, Anthony Davis show. So I- I'm liking what I'm seeing from the Lakers' best players in the sense that they're able to carry the team. And I'm liking the fact that Dwight Howard has, has looked really good in, in, his, uh, in his minutes. He's playing about 21 minutes a night. But if you look at his advanced metrics, I mean, the team is basically 30 points better with him on the court per 100 possessions than JaVale McGee. And so when you're looking at it like that, I'm like, sooner or later, Dwight's going to have to to slide into there. But I like the way the Lakers have kind of have played, especially in the second half. And, and we've seen that a lot. Uh, the Charlotte game, it was a bit of a struggle and, and it looked like it might be close after halftime. And then the team pulled away. And then against Memphis. It was the same kind of thing where they, they started to pull away a lot in the third quarter and then against Dallas in the, in the game on Friday. You saw that from, from the Lakers that it was they were, they were down, down, and they clawed their way back. So for me, I, I'm liking the fact they're looking like a veteran team getting things done in the second half, which when teams start to pull away. And you remember the Warriors during their run, every single time in the third quarter, it was like even if they were down 15, you're like, they're going to be leading at the end of this going into the fourth. And so if the Lakers can build that up, I, I think things are trending in the right direction. Well, the the most positive thing that I've seen is, despite the fact I think we can both agree on this, and I will, we'll touch on this after this positive start, we, we've, there's a lot to improve on, and that's patently obvious to anyone who's watched basketball long enough. But at the same time, we're 4-1, and one, and to be honest, I think feel like we're deserving of that record as well. I don't feel like any of the games that we've won have been a steal. I feel like, on the contrary, I feel like we've deserved every single game that we won. Even last night, I feel like Dallas, we had three or four spurts in the third and fourth quarter where we just went on 8 or 10 or runs at the right time to just get us back into the game. And I know the Mavs are complaining about fouls and whatnot and Mark Cuban's being Mark Cuban and, you know, all power. <laughs> but, like, I feel like we deserve that. I really do. I mean, I feel like Luka Doncic is phenomenal. I, I, I'm honestly, I don't even, it's not even hyperbole when I say I feel like he's the best player to come into the NBA since Anthony Davis. Oh, I, wow, that's high praise, yeah. Yeah I, yeah, I think he's just that good. I feel like defensively he has a lot to improve on obviously but at the same time he's a 20 year old still adjusting to the nba i mean like not uh, there's very few people ever who have just come in and in their second year been all nba defensively or even like adequate defensively as we know watching the young guys you know i don't know if you agree with that but like it does take time for young players to get there you know so it was a good game i i really enjoyed it and i feel like what well, like we said we'll touch on it now but i feel like Kuzma coming back is a big help as well. I feel like the shots he would take him were really good. And, you know, 
if he has a bit more legs underneath him, the shots that keep on clanging off the front of the rim will go in. So I'm not worried about that. At the same time, though, I'm really happy that Alex Caruso is starting to see more minutes as well. I'm sure you're like the rest of us on Lakers Twitter, where it's like a Caruso bandwagon, but, you know, I like to talk about that. <laughs> No, for sure, man. I mean, uh, I love seeing Alex Caruso get get some run. And it was funny because those first few games, I mean, he didn't get off the bench. I know he was dealing with a bit of that tailbone injury. But when when you've seen him get to play, and I mean, at first he was just playing only in the second half. And then now you're starting to see him get some run. And I think if you look at, again, the advanced metrics of having Caruso on the court, the team's defensive rating with him on there is 79.4. That's per 100 possessions. So if you're, looking, if you're looking at something that, yeah, and, and they need him to – like, you don't want to be rolling with, with Quinn Cook all the time. He's not a very good defender. You don't want to be rolling with Troy Daniels. He's up and down as a defender. On top of that, I think other than that Utah game, he's something like three for 19 on three-pointers on the season. So I like what Caruso's bringing for the team off the bench. I do like the way that the team has been has been looking in terms of, like, like you mentioned, I mean, a, a team like Dallas, which uh, other than Utah and L.A., the Charlotte, Charlotte and Memphis probably not going to be in the playoffs come time for April, but Dallas, and especially now with the Warriors looking like they're going to be a bottom-run team until until Steph comes back, I think Dallas does get into the playoffs. I like that. And you mentioned Luka Doncic is amazing. Like he's sick watching you know watching him play basketball. And and I like what Porzingis is doing as well. And he'll get better and better as as his his conditioning comes back. But you know right now the Lakers, there are things to improve on. And I've mentioned this a few times on on podcasts and shows that I've done that they just kind of seem like they're they're not deep enough yet to be able to beat a team like the Clippers in a seven-game series. And when I say that, I mean that the Lakers can win two or three, but I think when you need guys coming off your bench that are going to be able to consistently contribute. You mentioned Kyle Kuzma. I, I, I think Kyle Kuzma instantly becomes the Lakers' third-best scorer, if not third-best player overall, right up there with Danny Green. So he'll, he'll, as he gets his conditioning back and starts to play some more minutes, he'll be a big help off the bench. But I do think the Lakers have to find a way to get Andre Iguodala in the purple and gold at some point in the new year. I mean, he's trolling us right now, isn't he? With that Danny yeah, Green yeah. tweet. He must either he's I, I I think feel like it's one of two ways. I think he's having his cake and eating it. I, I've always been under the belief that Iguodala will most likely come to the Lakers, barring any unforeseen circumstances where, you know, Steve Ballmer throws him a few IPO offers here or there. <laughs> you know? Very legal, not insider trading, if you know what I mean. <laughs> but I feel like he knows that the Laker fans want him, so I feel like he's trolling us right now as well. Well, yeah, I mean, I, you know what? He, I, I think it's pretty obvious that once, once and if he ends up getting bought out by the Memphis Grizzlies, um, I, I do think it's a foregone conclusion that he'll come to L.A. Now, the only problem is, is if there's another team that's a veteran team like a, like a Denver Maybe like a Utah, I don't see the Clippers getting him because there's nowhere for him to play in that rotation. But I think if a team is willing to give up an asset like a future first round pick or, or, or a second round pick and some cash and a young player to get him, that's where I think the Lakers might get scooped. But I agree with you. I, I think he, he's at a point right now where he, um, he, he knows he wants to come to the Lakers. It's probably the best fit for him in terms of getting minutes consistently and being able to win a championship. So I, I think it's right there. But I'm just hoping no other team uh, kind of scoops him co- coming forward. No, I agree with you 100%. And I like, like, I've always thought, I don't know about you, I've never seen the Clippers, especially once they did that trade for Mo Harkless. That, that for me, took them away from Iguodala instead of towards him. I don't know what you think, but that's what I've always thought when they did that Mo Harkless deal. Mm-hmm. Well, I, you know what? I, I don't... 
I, I think the Lakers, the Clippers are, are really set with what they got. They got more hard plays. They got Jamichael Green. Uh, you're going to have Paul George coming back, and, and you got Lou Williams, and obviously Kawhi Leonard. So I just don't see, I don't see a fit for him there. Like the only reason they'll get him, I feel like, is just to make sure he doesn't go to the Lakers, right? And I, I'm watching it like Iguodala to me is the type of guy who still wants to play, still has something to give. Uh, he'll probably be better playing only half the season just because he's so up there in terms of age and games played and minutes. So I, ultimately, I do think he'll end up with the Lakers. And, and like you mentioned, I think the Harkless thing and, and some of the other moves the Clippers have made have made it easy easy for Andre Iguodala to choose the Lakers over the Clippers if and when he gets bought up. No, absolutely. And just segueing back to our topics, we did mention that we would talk about negative signs that we've seen from the Lakers. I feel like the biggest one is the depth. Like, I don't think that we're super short on the bench, but at the same time, I don't feel like we're one of the best benches in the NBA either. You know, I feel like you'll, you can elaborate on that as well. Yeah, no, and, and that's where I think it's going to be an issue. I think against teams like the Memphis Grizzlies and, and to an extent the Dallas Mavericks, you can get away with not having too much depth. But you saw what happened in that opening game against the Clippers. And I mean, the, the 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 Lakers bench got killed. I forgot. I think it was they got outscored 60 to 19 or something along something along those lines. So uh, when you when you're looking at that, and I'm like, okay, if you're playing in a in a one and done thing, it's different. You're gonna say, hey, we got LeBron James and Anthony Davis. Go win one game and, and keep doing that till you get to a title. The problem is in a seven game series, depth helps you win. You saw that with the Raptors last year. Uh, they were only going eight nine, but their top eight nine guys were probably the best in the NBA when you look at overall skill and impact. And and you saw that with the Warriors, that when Kevin Durant went down, and obviously I mean, losing Clay Thompson wasn't tough to bounce back from that, but they didn't they weren't getting anything off their bench, guys. Iguodala was struggling a lot in the finals last year. Boogie Cousins had that one big game. So I think the Lakers do have to find a way to shore up their, their bench players. Like I said, Kuzma is going to be a huge help. He will do a lot to, to, to score and bring in, you know, 15, 16 points a game off the bench, which the Lakers really need. But I do think they need to get another reliable wing defender and a guy who can sit there and hit three-pointers. What do you think about that? What do you think they're missing? I think with the Lakers, I feel like a wing defender, like obviously the most common name that we talked about, Iguodala. I also feel like if we could somehow get a starting level point guard, I really love Alex Caruso. I think he's phenomenal. But I feel like offensively, I feel like he's still lacking, which, you know, he's still, what, 24, 25? That, that still can improve, you know. But at the same time, I feel like if... I don't think it will happen because of how well the Heat are playing. But if they do swing for a Chris Paul trade and Dragic does go to the OKC Thunder, if we could get someone like him, it would be incredible, you know. Like, I know my listeners have heard me talk about it before, but I just wanted to get your opinion on something like that. I feel like if we could also get a starting level point guard like that to help, you know, because if you do have the attention on LeBron, AD and Kuzma, like you've stated, having a guy like that will just, it'll kill the opposition, you know. Oh, yeah, no, for sure. I mean, I think that there's some improvements to be made. I actually like their starting lineup right now with Avery Bradley, Danny Green and LeBron kind of being the de facto point guard. Absolutely. I do think I do think they could go with Dwight Howard over JaVale, it, just that they want to start a little bit better. But uh, ultimately, you know, I think a point guard, and I think if, if Caruso can show, and you're right, I think he's limited offensively in the sense that you probably won't get too many 20-point games from him. But if he can, I mean, you look back at the, at the, at the, when the Lakers were winning championships with uh, Kobe at the helm and then with Shaq and Kobe in the early part of the century, they had guys like Derek Fisher. They had guys like Robert Ory. They had guys like uh, Ron Harper who could hit 
open shots when they were asked to and need to. Brian Shaw, another guy that was able to do that. So I, I think if one of these guys can step up and one of these guys, I'm talking about somebody like Alex Caruso, Quinn Cook, um, Zach Norvell, if he continues to develop in, in 25, 30 games and he gets a shot. I just think they need to get one of those guys step up and that'll help alleviate some of those depth issues. Uh, Rondo coming back, I know he's like a hugely polarizing thing in, in Lakers nation world, but um, I, I do think that with Rondo coming back, it, it'll give him a little bit more balanced in terms of playing 10, 12, 14 minutes a night. But I like running LeBron at the one and running the offense through him right now. No, absolutely. Another, another negative is, I don't know about you, but I don't think this AD playing 12 minutes first and third quarter thing is sustainable. I don't know what you think, but I, I, I just sort of like, I feel like he it could cause the potential. I know we're trying to stagger both LeBron and AD right now, and uh-huh. I completely understand, and I'm all for that. But at the same time, I feel like there's better ways to do it instead of playing AD 12 minutes in the first and the third, respectively. Well, here, here's a thing, Ellen, is, is that uh, once Kuzma gets to a point that he can play 25, 30 minutes a night, I think they'll be able to afford more. I think Frank Vogel sees this, too. I think they'll be able to afford a little bit more to, uh, to bring, to bring uh, uh, AD and, and LeBron to the bench a little bit sooner rather than playing them the full 12 minutes. And I think having Kuzma out there as a guy who has the potential to score 20 points is enough that you can give him a two, three-minute break. And I remember watching that first game against the Clippers, like I mentioned, their only loss is when they were doing that, they had, when they took LeBron and AD off the court at the the same time, I think the the Lakers had something like a seven, eight-point lead, and it went down to two or three within two possessions. And I think that's where... That's where the, the, the team is, is lacking and was missing Kuzma. So I, I, I'm interested to see over the next 15 games here how they settle on playing their rotations. And if, uh, if, if playing Kuzma a little bit more as he gets into game shape again, that if they'll be able to at that point um, uh, rest AD and LeBron a little bit more in the first and third. No, absolutely. And I, I have that thing as well. I will get on to Frank Vogel now. But at the same time, I feel like, like you said, I feel like Frank Vogel is smart enough to be able to do that but at the same time I also feel like you know there is reason to be worried because you know if if he does that for let's say 75 games I hope that wouldn't affect his output on the playoff level you know what I mean that's that's the way I'm looking at it so well yeah I know I mean I I agree with you to a point you don't want to run LeBron and AD through the ground right now right and and you want to and and we were talking about this a little bit before we started the podcast is you look at that Lakers schedule, I mean, until basically one month from now, like December 2nd or 3rd, I think they play Denver, they got a pretty good schedule. And so right now, you want to be able to take advantage of the fact that early in the season, you don't have to play LeBron 35, 40 minutes. You don't have to play Anthony Davis 35 or 40 minutes. You know what I mean? You want these guys being fresh, and then hopefully at the end of the year, you're locked into you know, a one, two, three seed, wherever they might be, and then you can get some more rest. So I agree with you. I think it's imperative that they don't run LeBron and AD through the ground, and that's going to come by taking advantage of the schedule that they're getting and when they have the easier teams to line up against. Oh, absolutely. And like you said, we were touching on LeBron's minutes before the podcast, and um, the biggest thing we I've noticed, and I mentioned it to you, is he's loathed managing himself, but within games, like the games against the Hornets and Grizzlies. I even feel like, to an extent, against Utah and Dallas, really. 
the first half, he sort of takes a little bit more of a back seat. He's trying to get other people involved, see if he can get them going. And then in the third quarter, he decides enough's enough and he takes the matters into his own hands, which I feel like the minutes might not indicate that he's playing a lot less minutes than he has in previous years. But at the same time, I feel like he's just been a lot smarter with the way he conserves his energy throughout these periods of time. Well, yeah, you're right. And I think he's doing it. He, he talked about it before the season, right? He said, hey, uh, this is going to be Anthony Davis's team. We're going to run the, the offense through Anthony Davis. And people are like, oh, what is, you know, what is LeBron talking about? You know, they can't. It's like, no, he's turning 35 in December. Okay, he doesn't have to win any more MVPs in the regular season. He wants to win finals MVPs. And right now, he's not in a position where he is almost having to be and being forced to, to to carry the team like he was a lot of the time last year. And I saw that with LeBron, like the team was hitting its stride just before he got hurt on Christmas against the Warriors. But um, after that, even when he came back, he just didn't have it. He was, he was, he was exhausted. He looked fatigued. And, and right now he's doing it the right way. Look, you got Anthony Davis there at 26 years old. You know, you don't need, you don't need LeBron James to be, and he played like Superman yesterday. You, you saw that against the Mavericks. So he still has it in him, but he's going to choose his spots now rather than forcing things. You know what I mean? Absolutely. And it's a nice segue to talk about, you know, the Mavs and the games. And, you know, I, I don't know about you, but Coach Vogel got a lot of stick before the start of the season. As you know, he was third choice, very obviously. You know, the reporting was clear that he was the third choice. You know, Monty Williams, then Ty Lue, and then, you know, once everything transpired the way it did. But I, I don't know about you, but I've actually been really impressed He's not afraid of making in-game adjustments, which, as we've seen with our previous two head coaches who have been very afraid of making in-game adjustments, he seems to be managing the personalities really well. And the thing that he's known for defensively, I feel like the Lakers are phenomenal defensively. You know, I feel like, you know, the, the coverages are really good. I feel like the protection of the rim's great. We can, it, we they scored 110 points in overtime against us, which sounds like a lot, but for NBA standards, you know, we get 158, 159 games nowadays in the NBA, you know, and it's not like an anomaly either. Like, again, Brooklyn, Houston last night was 123, 116 in the, you know, regulation time. So it's not like it's an anomaly. I feel like Frank Vogel's doing a legitimately really good job with this roster. I, I you know, what? I, I like a lot of what he's doing, especially with the defensive team. I mean, they're, they're trying not to switch as much and, and it's depending on the matchup that they're doing that. So you like to see them. You like to see them um, adjusting to, to who they're playing. And like you mentioned, I think it's a testament that the Lakers have been a dominant, dominant third quarter team so far this year. And the reason they've been able to do that is because they're obviously making some adjustments at halftime, right? They're, the coaching staff is picking up on some of And it's so, still so early in the season. You don't know your opponents like you do at game 35, game 40. There's not a lot of video and, and tape available on them. Every team had, had a, a lot of the teams had a bunch of changes to their rosters. And so what you're seeing now is with, with this team is, okay, they're making the right adjustments. The only knock I have on Frank Vogel is, and I saw this yesterday against uh, against the Mavericks and then also in that opening game against the Clippers, is you can't go into Anthony Davis and post him up late in the game every time. And Anthony Davis has to stop shooting some of the jumpers that he's settling for. And I think that's where that's where adjustments have to be made. I get you want to post up Anthony Davis, get him the ball on the block. Sometimes he's posting up and he's catching the ball you know, three feet away from the three-point line. That's not ideal. 
to get a guy posting up from there. But if you are, if you are going to post him up from there, make sure some of the weak side guys are getting some movement and they're able to maybe cut to the hoop for, for a backdoor basket, or you're setting a screen on the, on the, on the weak side guy to, to come up and, and pop up to the top of the key. And I think that's where the movement on the offense still is a little bit worrisome to me, but again, we're only five games in and they're sitting at four and one. So I don't want to sit here and be too negative about it. No, and I don't know about you, and I agree that we were posting AD up too much, but like towards the end of the fourth and into overtime, AD had this realization, like you said, to not settle for jumpers and to just keep attacking them. And then once he did that, like I thought he wasn't anywhere close to being like as good as he can be, and he still had 31 and 8. 31, 8, two assists. Uh, two steals, two blocks, which for anyone else is ridiculous, you know, on any night. But for AD, yeah. it's like, it's just the norm. Like, we know that there's a lot more to come from him, you know. So that's ridiculous oh, yeah, in sure. itself. Yeah, I mean, I, and that's the thing. You didn't even notice that Anthony Davis had that stat line yesterday, right? You're watching that and you're like, you're like damn, you Anthony Davis had, had had that many points. But when with him, like, I agree with you. He's at his best when he's getting to the rim. And, and his three-point shot, he was 0 for 5. I believe yesterday, and he's not, he's not, um, he shouldn't be settling for some of the jumpers. And, and it's the same thing with LeBron, right? LeBron's at his best and his jumper is going in more when he's actually attacking the paint and getting to the rim and getting easy layups. And that's opening up the jump shot for him. And I think Anthony Davis is pretty similar to that. Give him the ball near the post, get to the rim. Like he shot those 26 of, of 27 from the free throw line. I believe it was against the Memphis Grizzlies, that's where you want to see him doing that. So, and, and that just shows how great Anthony Davis is, right? Like how easy it is for him to score. So I, I think this stuff will all be approved upon, improved upon, part of me, as we get later into the season. But man, I still think LeBron and AD are going to hit another gear together. And when they do, it's going to be scary for the rest of the NBA. No, absolutely. And just to touch on AD a bit more, um, the fact, uh, the, you saw it in the Charlotte game. He started off well, shooting you know around the rim driving really well they couldn't really stop him and then once they decided to clog the paint once he was feeling a bit more confident in himself his jumper looked a lot better as well it's mm. he needs to it's the what i was talking about it i, I was talking about it with pete zayas last week actually and i it still seems to me i know it's only five games so i don't think it'll die down for another couple of games I think he's trying too hard at the moment in the best way possible offensively. He's trying too hard to impose this impression because I, I I think you probably believe the same way that I do, that I don't think he's leaving Los Angeles anytime soon. Oh, and, no, I know. Hell no. I think he'll be here. He'll be here for a long, long time, right? And because of that, I feel like he wants to set the best possible first impression and he wants to show people how great he is. And if you watched him in New Orleans, the shots that he's taking... This season, he never really used to take in New Orleans. He used to take the shots that we saw him take, you know, more in the Charlotte game where he first started to attack the rim. Then once the defense didn't want him to attack the rim, he started settling for jump shots when he was wide open and they would fall in because they were really good shots to take. And if he, we can get, the, and I think we will get that realization, you know, give him another seven, eight games or so. But if once we start to see that Anthony Davis consistently with LeBron James, we'll touch on LeBron next. But like with LeBron, I mean, like that's I I I can't think of a better duo in the NBA since Shaq and Kobe. And that's no disrespect to Kawhi and Paul George, who I think are phenomenal as well. Like people always go, oh, that means yeah, it's not. I just feel like these two are so good at what they do. It's really hard to like put 
anyone sort of close to them. Whilst the Clippers' depth is better, and we'll agree with that, you know, mm-hmm. just the two yeah, by I, themselves, it, I feel like it's just better than anyone else, you know. No, you're right. I mean, and I think that the Lakers are the only team that have two of the bona fide best five players in the NBA on their roster. You know, there's a lot of dynamic duels out there, but you have Anthony Davis and LeBron James, and I, I, you know what, they are. And, and, and that's the thing, that the rest of the league has to be weary of that. And, you know, all things being equal and considering injuries and if the Lakers are fully healthy, they're going to be a tough team to beat four out of seven times. Right now, over the first week of the season, I mean, I could see a team like Philly, I could see a team like uh, the, the Clippers for sure, and I'm sure a couple more teams will start to, to show that they're upper echelon as we get later into the season. But the problem is, if you look at uh, having to match up with AD or LeBron, like there's going to be nights they both go off for 35 points. And it's like, how are you going to be able to stop that? So I, I agree with you. I, I think they're, they're, they're probably the best duo in the league in terms of one-two punch, although I do think you know uh, Steph Curry and, and Kevin Durant together uh, might be up there with, with Shaq and Kobe as well. But uh, those guys, I mean, they're, they're, they're dominant, dominant players, and, and the teams that are matching up with them, they're going to have to be aware of the fact that Anthony Davis, the more he gets comfortable playing with LeBron and the more they start realizing on, and feeding off each other, it's going to get that much easier and that much better for the Lakers. No, oh, absolutely. Um, just let's, let's talk about LeBron a bit more. First of all, I'm sure you agree with this because I follow you on Twitter. Um, what the, the reaction after that first game against the Clippers was ridiculous. Like, people calling LeBron washed, he's old now. Like, I'm still of the mind, when LeBron wants to play 100%, I don't know if you agree with me or not, I still feel like he's the best player in the world and it's not particularly close. But what we're seeing right now, like we've touched on, is that he's picking and choosing his moments. You know what, I I think that in my opinion, and I will tell you this, in my opinion, um, Kawhi Leonard is the best one-two player in the NBA right now. And I think he earned that, that, and he took that spot from LeBron last season. Do I think LeBron is still great and a top two or three player in the NBA? Absolutely. But he has to learn how to, and like you mentioned right now, he's at a point where, and people might argue with me on this, and that's fine too, in my opinion, yeah, he's lost a bit of a step. Does that mean that he's still not head and shoulders above the rest of the competition? No, of course not. He, he still is. And when you watch him play in person, that's where you get to see the difference with LeBron. Like he, he is just physically more gifted, more athletic, stronger, faster than the people around him. But you're starting to see him like he's not getting as much lift as he is on his jumpers as he used to. He's not maybe just like missing about four or five percent of the explosiveness that he has. So when he, he has to conserve his energy to make sure that come time for April, May, because he's not 25-year-old LeBron anymore where he can play 82 games and go play 25 in the playoffs and still be okay. Right now, he probably has about 40 to 50 really good games in him. And so he has to look at that and say, maybe I want to use 15 or 20 of those in the regular season and save some of that juice for the playoffs. So I, I think people are, 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 when they say that he's washed and he's done, I think that's, that's ridiculous and disrespectful to him. But I also think you're not going to see LeBron have 35, 40-point nights as consistently as you did because he doesn't need to do that right now. And he, he's got a team with depth. He's got, a, he's got another superstar playing behind him and Anthony Davis. So I, I don't think the pressure is on him. People can say what they want. And as I mentioned, he's not chasing regular season MVPs anymore as he wants finals MVPs. So that's what his, his target is going to be. No, and like, like you said earlier, he's made fully clear that this is Anthony Davis's team. But when, when you actually consider that LeBron James is a second option on an NBA team, like, in my opinion, that's frightening. Like, I, I don't oh, care. Oh, yeah, for sure. 
I don't care who you are. I don't care what team you are. When you actually put it like that, that LeBron is the secondary option in a Lakers offense, it, it's frightening because 28 other NBA teams, like, I agree that Kawhi is definitely up there. Um, yeah. 28 other NBA teams don't have a first option as good as LeBron James, you know. It's crazy. Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, if you think about that, how ridiculous that sounds. Like, three years ago, if you said, yeah, LeBron's probably our second option on our team, you would probably start laughing at that. But now it's it's real life and it's happening. So uh, good luck to the rest of the NBA trying to, trying to contain that duel. If three years ago you told me that LeBron James and Anthony Davis would be on the Lakers at the same time, I'd ask you what drugs you were smoking in the greatest respect possible. <laughs> <laughs> that would be a, that would be a fair assessment. I, I agree with that, man. <laughs> but honestly, it I feel like we're, we're very spoiled as Laker fans. So these past six years, seven years, if you look at even with the Kobe injury, have been horrible. But at the same time, there's no other franchise, in my opinion, that can bounce back from being, apart from maybe Golden State next year. Oh, yeah. Going from a 30-win team and then being an instant title contender. It's crazy. Yeah, you don't see it. You don't see it too often in the NBA. Usually it's kind of like a slow rise that teams are getting to where they want to go. And then they're still like, even the Warriors, when they had Curry and Clay, they started building and building. And then they came, you know, in, in 2015, they came, you know, they were gangbusters and, and so it's cool to see. I, that's always something that's that's potential with the Lakers, just because they are the Lakers and people want to play here. And, and players look at at this franchise. It's it's the gold standard of the NBA. And you're getting to live on the West Coast. It's it's sunny, you know, 320, 330 days a year. So uh, I think you know the, you don't see it as much uh, in the NBA with other teams, but with the Lakers, if they ever have a down period, I mean, the last one lasted a little bit longer than than expected, not making it to the playoffs, but. The, the Lakers are always have the capability of going from from worst to first just because they can bring in the best players at any point in any offseason. No, absolutely. And, you know, so let's touch on new additions on the roster. I feel like I know who's impressed you the most because I feel like he's impressed everyone the most. I feel like Danny Green's just been fantastic. He's been phenomenal so far. Yeah, for sure, man. I mean, I, I think that... Uh, um, Danny Green has been the best of, of the new additions. I think Dwight Howard has been awesome, and and I think he is getting his due. And a lot of people were concerned maybe with how he he was going to fit on the team. And you're you're seeing him come out there the way he's blocking shots and altering things at the rim and 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 getting after the offensive rebounds. I think he's been great. Unfortunately, I haven't been that impressed with Troy Daniels other than that one Utah game. He's not bringing a lot uh, to the squad. I like Avery Bradley in terms of what he's doing defensively. And, and kind of the dynamic he brings to the Lakers lineup. But overall, I would say it would be Danny Green, number one, and Dwight Howard as my top two. What about you? No, uh, I was – I have I have to admit, when Dwight Howard left the first time, I was like 99% of the other Laker fans. I, I just want to put a disclaimer. I always liked Dwight Howard before he came to the Lakers. I, I feel like there's this feeling that he's a disingenuous person and stuff like that. I never felt that way. I always felt like he was a bit immature for his age. So that can come off as being disingenuous. And I feel like it hurt when he left the Lakers, obviously, because we want the best players possible to play for the Lakers, obviously. You want your team uh -huh. to be as good as possible. But at the same time, I feel like it was the right career move for him, especially looking back at it now. I feel like he 100% made the right decision for his career. I know that the narrative is always, you know, he's bounced around. But he was, if I'm not mistaken... He went to the Western Conference Finals twice with Houston. 
Um, he was in the all defensive teams. I don't know if he was an all star or not, but he was certainly close to being an all star with Houston. You know, it's not like he was he just fell off the map during his time there. You know, he's very good. But obviously they wanted to get younger and cheaper by playing Clint, Clint Capella. So they moved him on. And then obviously the circumstances where Dwight was, I don't know if you'll agree with this, wasn't conducive to a good playing environment either. And also injuries didn't help. But now he seems fully healthy. He looks really lean as well. Like he looks like he's not the athletic version of what Dwight was nine, ten years ago. But body wise, it looks basically the same. And when you well, have, he, he looks like he sculpted like a statue, right? I mean, I saw him coming out in the preseason. I was like, damn, this guy looks, he looks cut <laughs> and, and, and lean. But um, you know what? I, I think what happens, and, and here's the thing, and, and this is something people like us would never understand because we never grew up and we didn't live like that. When you are a dominant force in high school, you don't, you're so good that everybody knows you don't even have to go to college to play. And you're going to be an all-star from, from basically day one in the NBA. You're going to be a superstar. So for Dwight Howard, the humbling process for him, and, and this is where the immaturity, like you mentioned, comes in as well, is he was coddled. He was babied. Everybody catered to what he wanted and what he needed. And when he came to L.A. and he had to learn how to share the spotlight with, with Kobe and learn how to adjust to play with other superstars, he wasn't able to do it because he had no training like that beforehand, right? You go from being 17 years old and broke in high school to 18 years old having money, you know, coming out your ass, really. Sorry, I don't know if I'm allowed to say that on the uh, on the podcast, no, but fine, you, have, you, have, you, have, you have money coming out of your ass on, at, at that age. And, and you have people, you know, everywhere you go, people want to PC you and, and, are, and are, you know, sucking up to you and catering to you. And, and you're kind of the lead dog. It's hard to to go through that and realize. And then he had stops, you know, in Charlotte and shorts in Washington and Atlanta. And and these teams, he, he didn't have it anymore. And it happens with big men, right? Big men age a lot faster than than guards do and, and forwards. And that's just a natural thing. At seven feet, seven foot one, your body's going to get more wear and tear. And he had the surgeries and the back problems. So uh, I think for him being humbled and realizing that, look, if I want to stick around in the NBA and I want to be able to play a few more years and get paid handsomely just to play a sport, then I gotta, I have to get out of my own way. And I think you're seeing that with Dwight Howard now. He's doing and saying all the right things. He looks like he's having a great time on the court, which we haven't seen from him in a long time either. So good to see him back in that regard. And and I agree with you. I mean, he had a great run there where he was a perennial all-star for 10 years, kind of started falling off the map, and, and that's a result of injuries and, and, and whatever he was going through mentally. But now you're starting to see him be like, all right, I don't have to carry this team. I don't have to score 20 points and grab 15 rebounds a night. My job is to come in, play good defense, alter shots at the rim, block some shots, and get some offensive rebounds, and he's doing just that. Well, it's such that. I don't know if you've seen it. The two block leaders in the NBA, it's Anthony Davis, number one, and Dwight Howard, number two. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and that's no, I've seen that. And that's, that, that's a testament to how hard those guys are playing on defense, right? No, and it just goes hearts back. Like, I feel like saying the words Dwight Howard and fan favorite, it doesn't sound right. But he's absolutely becoming a fan favorite just because of the way, like you said, it's hard for superstars to realize that they've not got it anymore. That's why that's why Camelo Anthony is no longer in the league. You know, like he can't he can't accept to himself. Like I was trying to make this point to people. I'm like, I understand that there's probably not 400 players who are better, you know, basketball wise than Camelo Anthony at any point, you know, in in the world at this moment. But there's at least 250 of those guys who are a lot easier to manage than Carmelo Anthony, you know? So because yeah. of that, that's why he's not in the league anymore. 
Oh, and that's and that's the thing. I mean, I still get comments while I'm doing podcasts and, and Lakers Nation shows from people saying, sign Carmelo, sign Carmelo. It's like, dude, what are you talking about? Carmelo is washed. He can't, he hasn't shown that he can play anymore. He wasn't willing to adapt and change his role and his perspective on things. So and, and that's what happens to you in the NBA, man. It's unforgiven because you're a superstar for so many years. And you see a lot of these guys. Once they retire, they have a hard time adjusting to not being the man anymore. Now, nobody cares about you when you're when you're when you're 45 years old, you know. And they have a hard time adjusting to that life. And then I think you're seeing that with Carmelo a little bit is that he's just been unable to to adapt to the fact that he's not one of the top dogs anymore. And if he was able to kind of understand that role and start coming off the bench and be a spot up shooter in the corner and 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 hit some hit some threes for a team and 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 you know get, go on a score 15, 16 a couple of times during the season, he would still be in the league. And you saw Dwayne Wade accept that. And you, you haven't seen that from Carmelo Anthony. So I think that's where that's where the issue comes in. And Dwight would have found himself in the same position if he didn't decide to try and make that change this offseason. And I also believe now, I feel like Dwight Howard, I feel like he's found peace with himself. And I feel like he's found somewhere that he wants to be long-term once more. And I feel like that yeah. is in LA. Uh, because I don't know if you watched his um, his interview with Shams over the summer i just missed it no i didn't end up watching it just the way he was like smiling and you know just his body language when he starts talking about the lakers it it just speaks volumes as to like how much he wanted to be here and how how appreciative he was of the i know obviously it happened due to a horrible injury for the marcus cousins and i feel really sorry for the marcus cousins you know it's a horrible thing to go through having three major injuries like that in a year on one leg is is like never heard of before you know but at the same time sometimes that look that unluckiness is a some someone else's big gain you know like as as bad as it is having the Marcus Cousins, we wouldn't have had Dwight Howard on the roster now, which yeah, well, yeah. he seems irreplaceable and it's 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 big words and he's doing a really he's a role player now, but he's an irreplaceable role player in my opinion. Yeah, he's a, he's a big he's a big contributor to to this team right now, and and I you know don't get me wrong, I would rather have Boogie Cousins on the team than than Dwight Howard. I'm saying that from a point of. If Boogie Cousins is on this team and even 70% of his former self, I think the Lakers win the championship going away because then you have four guys who could score in, you know, adding Boogie to a LeBron, AD, and Kuz. But, um, you know, I, I, it, this was the best case scenario for the Lakers. They didn't get a guy like Joe Kim Noah. Um, they, they went for Dwight Howard, who still has something left in the tank. And, and you know, sometimes you have to seize the opportunity in front of you. And Dwight had it with the Lakers again. And, and it looks like it looks like so far, again, it's still early in the year. We don't know what's happening behind closed doors, but, you know, right now he's saying and doing all the right things. No, absolutely. I just worry for JaVale. I know it's not a new addition, but I feel like JaVale, especially if he continues playing the way he is, I feel like he becomes the odd man out in the rotation, especially towards the playoff times and stuff like that. Because I feel like we're not far away from seeing Dwight in the starting lineup. And I feel like Javel will still get minutes during the regular season because, as we talked about, you want to preserve AD and LeBron as much as you can. So you are going to play people that you won't play in the playoffs. But at the same time, as soon as it comes around to playoff time, I feel like Javel will be one of those people who could be missing out in minutes. Oh, and he, and he should be. You know, if he's not getting the job done and, and he's been as inconsistent as he has so far this season, you can't you can't play him. Right. He's the liability out there to have him out there. Sometimes he looks disinterested. He makes boneheaded plays at the wrong time. And sometimes he looks like a world beater. But the, the, the problem is you're only getting the world beater version of JaVale McGee probably five to 10 percent of the season. And so if somebody has to, and, and, I, and I mentioned that a bit earlier, 
is that if, if Dwight Howard is outplaying JaVale McGee, you have to give the minutes to Dwight Howard and, and wherever he ends up. And I don't think you, JaVale's good enough. And there's no disrespect to him. I don't think he's that good enough that if he's sulking and pouting about not playing well, that, that he's going to start, you know, having an attitude, they'll trade him or cut him. And so it's up to him. He's got to have to earn his minutes. I think a lot of the guys in the Lakers roster in terms of the, you know, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12 on the depth chart, one of those guys has to step up and try and do something. And if they don't, then, then yeah, they're going to be stuck outside the rotation or looking at another team at some point this season. No, absolutely. And let's just build on that. We have talked about, you know, things that the Lakers were doing badly. What improvements do you see us making in the next, you know, couple of weeks? You know, where do you see us going from here? Well, I, like I said, I think they got to take advantage of the schedule from now till early December. Win as many games here. Look at 15 and five, you know, 14 and, and, and four or something like that. You know, at that 18, 20 game mark. Um, I, I think the team has to get a little bit better in terms of defensively off the bench. That's something they're not going to be able to address immediately. Uh, but I, I just think the offense needs to get a little bit more in sync in terms of getting some more movement and, and running some more set pieces to get some guys some better shots. But again, we're so early in the season and the Lakers are sitting in four and one. So I, I, I can't sit here and complain too much. Now, if we do a podcast again in a couple of months and they're struggling, well, then, yeah, we could talk, we could talk about it then. But right now, I think things are looking pretty good overall. No, absolutely. And I feel like, especially if we continue like this and then we add some pieces and, you know, if someone blooms like a Caruso, like we mentioned, I've seen no reason why we can't be a 52 to 56 win team, especially with resting AD and LeBron at certain points in the season as well. You know, I don't feel like that's out of the realm of possibility at all. No, I, I think they're, I think just if they stay healthy, they're going to win 50 games no matter what. And, and anything on top of that is going to be a bonus. And that depends on load management. That depends on, on what they do with that. But right now, with the way the team is constructed, there's no way this isn't a top three team in the, in the West. And, and again, if they want to improve on that, I think depth will have to be something that they address at some point. But right now, things are looking pretty damn good for the Lakers this early in the season. No, oh, absolutely. So I want to say a big thank you, Jess, for coming on. If you can just tell the people where to find you on Twitter and stuff, I'd be really appreciative and where you, your work is and stuff. Yeah, no problem. You can catch me on Twitter at jazzkang21, uh, J-A-S-K-A-N-G. And then uh, I work for, I do podcasts for SB Nation, Silver Screen and Roll Podcast Network. And Lakers Nation, I do post-game shows after every Lakers contest. So make sure you can check us out on there. We do live streams on Periscope, Facebook, uh, YouTube, everywhere you name it, we are there. And uh, yeah, anytime, man. I always love talking basketball, especially with someone from uh, from across the pond. So it's a uh, it's a welcome opportunity. And anytime you want me to come on, I'm always happy to do it. No, absolutely, and I appreciate that. I was about to say I'll definitely take you up on your offer of coming on the podcast very soon, once more. You know, to talk about Lakers. Let's just hope in a few, six to eight weeks' time when we do talk once more that we are still talking about the positive sides and being just positive and not going like 20 and 20 or something like that, you know? Oh, no, I don't, I don't think that'll be, that'll be an issue for this team. I think if they're healthy, this is, this is a scary team as it's looking They have some improvements to make, but I think every team in the NBA does this early in the season. And once the Lakers get going, man, it's going to be scary for the rest of the league. And how fun is it to watch the Lakers again? Oh, I know. I'm, I'm happy, man. I mean, last year there were some moments where I'm like, oh, God, this is awful. But uh, it'll be, you can't, you're not going to have any dull nights with LeBron and AD on the team. That, that's for sure. That's a definite. Well, I just want to thank everyone for listening. If you can, please leave a rating on Apple Podcasts. If any five-star review is amazing for the podcast, just get 
the profile up. If you do want to hit me with any questions, I'm more than available to talk on Twitter. Have a good night. Thanks for listening.